Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House podcast. Today is one I am really, really excited about. I have my guest, Zach Alexander, here with me, and we have literally beaten Mexican storms to be here today. We were supposed to record yesterday. There was literally a tropical storm. There were power outages. There is so much that we have to learn from Zach. Zach's a modern spiritual teacher. I'm going to let him explain to you what that really means. I know he's been on his own journey around labeling, identity, and so many other things that come with that. So Zach, hi, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. And please tell me, what is a modern spiritual teacher before we get into the juice? Yeah. So thank you for having me on, uh, Luis. And it's good to finally meet you in terms of, you know, just even over video. Um, I hate that we have to kind of even put a title or a label on something. But really what I am doing is I am bridging the gap between mainstream psychology, spirituality, and somatic body-based therapies. Because through my own healing and self-evolution journey, I noticed that just merely focusing on one of those components left a lot to be desired. I am trying to bring all these worlds together to understand that, yes, we need to be aware of trauma and how it impacts us on the levels of the subconscious or our attachment styles, right? Yes, sometimes there is a metaphysical or spiritual component to this process, but also even how the body shows up in these modalities and in our journey as well. And my path here has been pretty interesting. I'm sure as we've talked about mirrors each other's quite a bit. I didn't get here overnight, so to speak. The truth is, is we have both gone through so much physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and the way that we have been able to step forward into that space of, I guess, healing is by understanding how all of those things tie together. It hasn't just been one. It hasn't just been the physical body or the mental body. So I'd love it if you could just give me a little backstory in terms of how you stepped into this space of of thinking, okay, I need more than just therapy or more than just medicine and how you came to this point that you are today. Yeah. So, I mean, I had my own heavy history of childhood trauma, right? I've been on plenty of podcasts where I go into that story, but, um, around the age of 21, uh, I suddenly became bedridden ill. I lost my gallbladder. I developed type one diabetes and my gastrointestinal system was so screwed up. It was very hard for me to even eat. I developed chronic kidney stones. And literally, I could not get out of bed or walk more than a few blocks for the span of four years. Now, within that, that drew me to talk therapy. And I was very fortunate. I still believe that I have one of the best talk therapists in the world. And she was the one that really took me into my internal world. I had all the space to finally dive into and see the parts of myself I was unable to beforehand and to be seen by another individual, to be shown empathy, to be shown understanding. 
ultimately, I was able through the utilization of trauma healing and alternative medicine to come out of that. When I came out of that period of illness, I had like a new springboard on life. I was like doughy eyed. I was like, the world is great. The world is beautiful. I returned to college. I became the star student. I ended up getting a full scholarship, one of the top law programs in the U.S. And I was on my path. I just wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to do child advocacy law at the time. Around that time, I uncovered even deeper trauma, child sexual abuse um, by a parental figure. And that was really difficult. And I started going to my talk therapist. It became very clear to us that there was just talking about this issue wasn't going to dissolve it. The memories were coming back in the body. It was coming back from a somatic level. And then at some point, a spiritual dimension opened up. And this was coming from someone who was atheist their entire life. And I'm not here to give new age cliches. I'm not here to give everything is all love and light. If you follow me on my profile, you know, I, I, I speak against that type of really generic language quite a bit. But I did learn to step into this process of embodied forgiveness. And the, even the concept of forgiveness is quite complex, right? But in that moment, I went back to my talk therapist and she was like, I think you're having a spiritual awakening. At that point, I thought I was crazy. I was like, please, like, give me something, diagnose me with something. She's like, I think you're having a spiritual experience. Here's the wheel. Go see where it leads you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's so amazing because you were atheist before, right? I don't think I even knew that. And I think what's very different about my journey is that my mom has always been very spiritual. My father, not at all, but I grew up with my mom. She was pulling tarot cards. She's been in the spiritual space for a long time. So I feel like we, we grew up differently in that regard. It must have been so challenging or I guess confronting to consider yourself an atheist and then all of a sudden be like, holy fuck, maybe everything that I thought I knew isn't quite right. Were you excited to step into this space or did it come from a place of desperation? Because I know that for me, I ended up in the therapy room from a place of desperation because my chronic pain was so bad. And someone said to me, hey, you've tried everything. You spend $20,000, nothing's working. Have you heard of repressed emotions? I kicked and screamed every step of the way into this. A lot of my identity was formed around atheism and people believing in nonsense and the invisible is just a sign of them not being intelligent. Like this is my thought process, honestly, right? I mean, I was a guy going into law. So when this smashed me on the head, like you, you have to believe I resisted it over and over and over again. I had to have a lot of experiences to really get my ego out of the way and to lean into this. This is a path that has found me. It has not always been enjoyable for me. As you've talked about, I've been through quite a bit of dark nights of the soul. There is literally a process of feeling like your, your construct of self, your concept of self is dissolving, right? You're being guided and asked to go into intuition to step beyond just the logical mind, right? And my whole sense of self was built on being very good at logical thinking. I used to teach college classes on analytical reasoning. And then I was going off and giving people Reiki or energy healing at night. Like this was, this was a very difficult bridging of these two worlds. People who followed me for a while know that I, I still have difficulty accepting my, my position in this space. I, I tried to quit this career a year and a half ago to go bartend in Philadelphia and just watch sports games. And, and somehow the universe dragged me back here. This, the spiritual dimension of this experience is, is, can be really beautiful, but it is not all love and light. It will show you parts of yourself 
that honestly aren't fun to always see. There are absolutely aspects of me that want to run away and just be like, I don't want to encounter this shadow. I don't want to look at this part of myself. Like, let me just fuck off. Let me have a glass of whiskey. Who cares? And this path and process is asking me like, no, like you have to integrate all parts of yourself. You have to look at all aspects of the subconscious. So uh, the short answer is like, no, I have not enjoyed this space t- at times and it has really dragged me. I have not pulled myself into it, so to speak. It's funny that you say the word dragged because I was interviewing someone last week and she's also based in Tulum. And I feel like a lot of people in Tulum are on their spiritual path, very open to the journey. And I asked her, you know, how I was going for her recently. And she said it literally felt like she was being dragged through the streets of Tulum, like behind a truck. And I was like, I feel like that sometimes too. And it feels like such a fucking roller coaster that a lot of the time, even my mom said last week, like, wow, like this, like life is just, is so much more intense and volatile for you than it, you know, it seems so easy for other people. And often I'll cry to my boyfriend, like, why can't it just be easy? Similar for you. You're like, why can't I just go and work in a sports bar? Like in Philadelphia, why can't I just do OnlyFans? Why can't this be easy for me? You know, there's people out there making like fucking like millions, oh, six figures, seven figures. Like life is so easy. You just manifest with your pussy and like you get everything you fucking want. I'm there like crying in bed. Like I'm doing the fucking work. I'm doing everything. I work so fucking hard. Like I have a spiritual practice. And honestly, what my mom has said since like the age of 15 is like, she says to me, you are constantly denying the intent spiritual and psychic side of you and the universe will pull you the fuck back to your life's alignment to your life's purpose i'm glad you said that and you know it's it's been difficult for me and and even using the distinction of modern spiritual teachers sometimes makes my skin crawl and i'm not gonna lie i know you're in, in tulum movies but i tend to poke fun at like tulum and bali that like they because like sometimes they paint this caricature of this process this experience this influencer notion of what this path is like, but that hasn't been my journey. Like, as you said, it's the screaming out the trauma. I have so deeply just wanted to be a manifestation coach and not to negate that there's not some effectiveness in utilizing those methodologies appropriately, right? Not from the ego's desires, but like when you're really on this path, like it's kind of happening to you. It's not you just saying, oh, I want this experience. I would like this, like oftentimes, when it's really something bigger than yourself guiding it, it's asking you to lean into something that you don't fully understand and to go into places within yourself or even within the collective consciousness. I mean, I had to go places with clients or accept clients into my practice that quite, that to be fully transparent, they were difficult to, to hold space for. But I knew it was part of my journey, it was part of my process to go into those deep shadows with people, right? To encounter the parts of the collective unconscious that we don't want to look at right? How prevalent sexual assault is, like how prevalent like domestic violence is, right? These are things that we don't want to discuss and talk about. And then we have a spiritual sphere that really just kind of really commodifies and commercializes this whole process to make it look a lot different than it is for most of us. And that's really been my path and process of, I want to make this relatable. This isn't all so we can just fuck off and manifest the Lamborghini or whatever. Like this is, this is so we can really understand who we are at our truest, deepest dimension of self and to be in integrity, to be in alignment and to lead from that place. And I think what Zach's explaining there is something called spiritual bypassing. 
which is that it's very easy for people to put on a wide-brimmed hat and take some mushrooms and pretend that they are into non-attachment, which means they can just fuck whoever they want, rather than actually sitting down and being like, where is the deep pain within me? Where are the deep wounds? Where is my darkness? And I think that without meaning to sound superior in any way, shape or form, because that's definitely not the intention of this statement, but I feel like Zach and I have gone to the absolute, the depths of darkness. I always say no one will ever understand chronic pain until you've lived it. It is something you cannot understand what it's like to be unwell all the time or to be in pain all the time. I read on Zach's Instagram that he was told at some point that they probably thought he had HIV because they couldn't give him any answers to what was going on. And I can't tell you how many times I've been scared that I have HIV because no one can give me any answers to what was going on. And I guess one of my questions that I really, really want to get into with you is the distinctions and like the delineations between conscious mind, subconscious mind, unconscious mind. And then after that, how things that we ignore, things that we suppress can start to show up in the body. Yeah. So it's really interesting that the conscious mind is really only uh, responsible for 5% of what's going on. The subconscious is responsible for 95% what's occurring within us. Okay. Now the subconscious self can actually be accessed through the body. Okay. So in our thoughts, we can say, oh, I like this thing. I like this person. Right. But when we're around this person and we viscerally feel a feeling of, oh no, it's something in our subconscious saying, whoa, something about them feels dangerous to us. Whether it's true or not, there's a deep layer in the subconscious saying no to this person. Okay. Just witnessing and observing like our, our thought streams is not going to be that conducive to overall wellness. So when we talk about our subconscious, I actually kind of want to dive more into the shadow self, right? And what that is, because we always hear this term of the shadow. The shadow is all the aspects of our self that we have suppressed, okay? And that doesn't mean it's always ugly or bad or something, right? I've worked with a lot of women who've actually suppressed their personal power. They were given a lot of cues and signals growing up that to be in their power was unsafe. They had to play into this nice girl archetype, this nice girl paradigm. So the way that I look at it is a lot of us from a young age are given this construct of the idealized self, the self that we need to be, that we need to live up to, to be loved and to have our needs met. So what we will then do is anything that is not of that nature of the idealized self, we will suppress, we will put down into the deepest layers of the subconscious. It's not that it's just in the subconscious, it's in the deepest, darkest aspects of it, right? where it's very, very, very difficult for us to access, even using meditative techniques and exercises. So when we are talking about the shadow, we're often talking about all the experience and aspect and parts of oneself that we had to suppress because we were told it wasn't safe to experience or it wasn't welcomed by our environment. So what the spiritual journey oftentimes asks us to do is to visit those aspects of self, to become conscious and aware of all the pieces of who we are, we had to press down because we were told they were no good. But when we access them, not to romanticize them, not to let them take the wheel, but to form a healthy relationship with them, to be a parent to ourselves and say, you know what? I think you've done them pieces on this, Luis, like, you know, casual sex being unhealthy or harmful sometimes to someone's psyche. Like if we've been sexually repressed for a long time, we access our shadow and our shadow's like, come on, let's go, right? But sometimes that can actually be unhealthy for someone's psyche, even though the shadow thinks that that could be a corrective experience, right? It's up to us to kind of guide in the show. Wait, maybe it's a deep, intimate relationship where I'm seen, 
that actually provides that correction. So it's, it's a tough balance. I know I'm throwing a lot of concepts out here, but that is the way that I would kind of delineate the conscious self, our thought stream, the subconscious, right? Which is access to the body, but then also the shadow, which is the parts of us we were told we had to suppress and push down. Zach says he has one of the best talk therapists in the world. I would also go as far as to rival him on that and say, I think mine is so amazing too. So this episode is coming from a place of Zach and I both really, truly, deeply respecting the power of conscious talk therapy in terms of helping to understand your thought cycles, your patterns, your repeated behaviors, your beliefs. We will always stand therapy. But I think that what is so fascinating is how we also both have established that there is so much more that needs to supplement the therapy journey. And even Zach referencing, you know, the word disease, if you break it down, dis-ease, right? There is something inside of your body, inside of your mind, inside of your cells, inside of your energy, whatever word resonates with you, there is something that is not at ease. And then take that one step further into what Zach was talking about around the idealized self. Now, call it a coincidence, but I think it's pretty funny that both Zach and I wanted to become lawyers, became lawyers, went to law school. We both followed this path of, we want to do this, we should do this. And both of us ended up with a chronic disease. Both of us ended up in, in similar situations. Yeah, I think a lot of times where we experience disease from a mental, even from a mental, physical level is us neglecting parts of ourselves, right? And our true heart's desires, kind of living out what everyone else wanted from us, right? And so the body can actually manufacture disease to kind of sometimes get our attention, to sometimes alert us, something is wrong. You're not listening to yourself. A lot of times we are acting unconsciously. We are doing what other people told us we wanted to do. And we don't even know what our own needs are. We don't even know what we find personally fulfilling. And so if we're kind of on this journey and path, the body and mind can kind of sync up and be like, you know what? No, we're going to stop. We're, we're, we're going to stop. We're going to sit your ass down. Hey, you might even be sick for a little bit, right? And you're going to have to tend within yourself. You have no other option but to look within and to understand Hey, you know what? Are you going to the legal route? Are you going to want to be in the legal field for the right reasons? Or is it to gain validation? Or is it to, to do what other people wanted you to do? A lot of times, we don't know what we want. We've had to suppress our heart's desires from a very young age. And now I think we're at a time and place in our society where we are actually being asked to be in full embodiment and to really listen to what we're here to do, to really what fills our heart up. This isn't this, the spiritual journey. Just it, like I said, it's not it's about going to Tulum. It's really about creating substantive change within our society. And sometimes that means meeting who we truly are, leading from that authentic, powerful place. Because, oh my God, are we hurting as a society? I, I really think like our leaders at this point now need to go on, on a journey inward, right? Anyone who has influence, who has responsibility, who has the ability to even create policy reform, you need to be aware of the subconscious. You need to be aware of your shadows. You need to be aware of the forces that are driving you. Yes, I could not agree more. And I'm also so happy that you just referenced that society is hurting. As individuals, as a collective, there is so much pain. There was no part of me that wanted to become a lawyer. I became a lawyer because I had a huge father wound, because my father was a lawyer, because I went through a schooling and education system that told me if I didn't become a lawyer or a doctor or a banker, then there was no point in me even having gone through that schooling education. 
And then on top of that, I felt like I needed the money. I needed the title, even though I wasn't consciously thinking this. These were coming from these like deep wounds that I'd already formed in childhood. Now, I was severely depressed when I was a lawyer, when I was training to be a lawyer, but I didn't realize it because I was running constantly and I was numbing. I was taking drugs the whole time. I was drinking the whole time. I was exercising the whole time. I managed to get through the whole of my 20s, distracting, suppressing and avoiding the pain until everything really came crashing down. I got sexually assaulted. It was really like, like there was a moment that I just couldn't push through anymore. And then on top of that, my pain got so bad that I couldn't function. It was my skin was burning. Like, oh, I just, I just could not function as a human being running from the pain rather than facing it. Is that a theme that you see in practice? We live in a westernized society that heavily incentivizes us to numb and void and distract our pain. We have an entire economy that is built around avoiding and numbing any symptom. If we experience an uncomfortable sensation or feeling, numb it, make it go away. So from a young age, most of us are led to this construct that we have to push it away. And then we go on this like self-healing, growth, spiritual, whatever you want to call it, journey that asks you to now confront that pain when your whole body and mind have been wired from the time you were young that pain is dangerous, that this uncomfortable emotion is bad, that everyone else will look at me as if I'm wrong or weird. You know, even in the legal structure, whatever, right? Like law firms are not that empath empathetic or compassionate if you're having a hard time emotionally or mentally. So from the very beginning, you are incentivized heavily in your work environment to numb and suppress. And I'm seeing this a lot more often with lawyers, doctors, people of that nature starting to break down. And it's not a function of them being weak. It's their mind and body saying, no more, we cannot exist in these structures. And we should be terrified of this. This is what we often don't talk or hear about. The people making policy decisions, the ones doing our surgeries are often doing so in work environments where they're under extreme duress, where they have to do lines of coke, or they're drinking a lot just to get by. And so it makes so much sense why a lot of us are now developing disease, why a lot of us are now developing chronic illness, why a lot of us are now developing depression. Our rates of mental health uh, or mental illness have never been higher. We can't function in these environments anymore, okay? It's not a, a matter of just wanting it bad enough. And so I think it's, it's being compassionate to ourselves, but now all coming together and looking at the intricacies of what it is to be human, of what it is to occupy this vessel and to understand that we are not wired to go at it 80 hours a week doing paperwork that leads nowhere, that our energy wants to be dispersed in a more effective mechanism. And so this is the awakening. It's about understanding the ways that we've been wired to experience ourselves unhealthily and to say, you know what, no more and to take our power back and to live from that authentic place and to truly be able to listen to ourselves and remove the blockages or the parts of the subconscious that tell us we're not allowed to listen to ourselves. It's interesting that you say we're not allowed to listen to ourselves because you're right. We're disconnected from ourselves as children. And then that just becomes adults who are disconnected from ourselves. And we become adults who are disconnected from society and then adults who are disconnected from other humans. And you know, they say that it takes a village to raise a child. And I think when you step into this spiritual space, 
you start to understand what that means is like how much community you need, how many people you need around you. And that has been a very challenging lesson for me because my go-to is isolation. It's a lot easier for me to just go into myself, to be on my own, to like just do some more work, to just distract and avoid. What are your thoughts on this connection piece? I can't emphasize how important it is. It might be the most important aspect, which is why it's so difficult when we grow up in environments that told us seeking out help and support made us weak. You need attunement. The body and the nervous system need attunement. The worst punishment a human can ever, ever endure, right? It's not going to jail. It's solitary confinement. That's what always sends people over the edge. For me, I grew up, you know, in environments where even for myself, men weren't safe. We were safe to do stupid shit together, but we weren't safe to like talk about what was going on for us. So when I was going through a hard time, I learned to, to push everyone away as well. And for me, one of the most deeply healing things, my ability to find safety within, again, was finding safety outside with men. That men could hold me through a tough time to say, I'm scared, I'm terrified, oh my God. And they're like, bro, we see you, it's, it's cool. Like, don't worry, we got you. Like that, that, that's all I needed, right? There is this space that's needed for connection, for community, for us to be seen and experienced, not in a performative way, not that it needs to be this huge, speculative, emotional release in front of everyone, but that we can just access that part of ourselves and say, you know what? I feel shame over this part of me. I, I had this moment two years ago when I was doing shadow work. I encountered a really dark shadow. It scared me, especially when I was like, oh my God, I'm on the spiritual path. I shouldn't be having these parts of me. Like this is my mental narrative at the time, right? And I didn't know what to do. My initial instinct was just crawl in a ball of shame and just, and just hide. And instead I brought, I brought it to a group of men. I was like, that I trusted. I was like, listen, I've got this thing. Right. And they were like, me too. I've seen it too. I've seen it within myself as well. And right there, it dissolved it right there. It removed the shame. It was nothing to be acted upon. It was nothing to be romanticized. I wasn't alone in this. And right there, right then, the shame was dissolved and the body opened up, the mind opened up. I'm glad that you're talking about shame because it's been an insanely huge part of my journey. I think that I have held so much shame for such a long time around so many things and I've done so much work on it and I truly have blossomed into the shame that it, it doesn't exist in the way that it used to. And I have so much acceptance and compassion for all of these things. I'd love it if you could just tell me a little bit around, I guess, how shame actually might just show up for some people, because I feel like it's a really abstract emotion. People are like, oh, I don't have shame, you know, but the truth is, is like I had shame, but I didn't ever realize it. Underneath the shame was this feeling that like, I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy, I'm defective. I'd love it if you could just touch a tiny bit on shame. And again, if that's something that you see in your practice. Uh, it's something I see all the time in my practice. It's something I've seen in my own journey and process. We deal with this notion of what's called toxic shame. Shame in small amounts can be healthy. It lets us know like, hey, you know what? You're doing something out of alignment. Like, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a negative emotion in and of itself. But when we begin to subconsciously believe we are inherently bad, we are inherently unworthy. Our thoughts and emotions are inherently wrong. It, it breathes this inner revulsion, this inner disgust. 
And that's a very dense thing to be carrying within you. And you can, and, and we notice we're holding shame because we can feel these parts of our bodies shutting down. Like, you know, for me, like my hips for a while were, were completely frozen and isolated, right? It really felt like I couldn't get my feet underneath me. That energy, like think of like something like dense and gooey, just locking your system in place. I developed chronic kidney stones. And so me dissolving and working with my shame, that's what I, I never got kidney stones ever again. When we talk about this correlation between illness and emotions. A lot of us carry shame because we are living in a society that constantly perpetuates us to feel unworthy. We're always shown or told how we don't look good enough, right? How we're not acting well enough, right? We're not making enough money, right? There's always some higher level. Now, if you grew up with a family system that you were always deeply emotionally attuned to, you're always seeing and experienced and loved for the way you are, that won't really resonate with you. You'll kind of just swore past that. But for those of us that did grow up with parents who unfortunately weren't able to really see us for who we are and unconditionally love us through their own lens of trauma, through their own ancestral trauma, a lot of us are going to be carrying this deep, this deep shame. And we're always going to be perceiving that our value and worth comes from something outside of us. But that's really tricky because when we're carrying this emotion in our body and the subconscious mind believes, I am not enough, I've got to prove I'm enough, then we're giving our power to other people. And this is what lends us open to narcissistic abuse or to at least calling in people who are very toxic, right? Because we're telling someone else to show us that we have value. And that leaves us very vulnerable and very susceptible. I think the statement of I am not enough is something that a ton of people will relate to listening to this, even if they've never said it out loud. And if they've never said it out loud, it might be because the shame and the toxic shame has been driving them continually to distract from that feeling and just work harder, work harder, work harder, succeed more, make more money. And that used to be me. That was me my whole 20s. You know, even when I was making half a million dollars a year in uh, another business that I had before this one, it was still never enough. It was never enough. Like I just had to keep going and I never, no amount of money could ever make me feel like I'd made it inside of me. Now I've worked through that wound on so many levels. I'm able to sit in months of making the, the smallest amounts of money I have ever, ever made. Does it trigger me? There is some residual reaction there. But generally on the whole, I know that I am so in alignment with my life and with my truth and I'm going on the path that I meant to. I sat down with a girlfriend of a friend last week and it was just such an incredible wake-up call from the universe to show me how far I had come. She was sat there and she was hysterically crying that no one had signed up to her offer, the program she'd launched, just crying and crying and crying and just like kept saying, but I used to make 30K months. I used to make 30K months. I used to make 30K months. And it was just this crazy wake-up call where I just was like, oh my God, Louise, you have so gracefully moved through that wound that you used to be in. And I just felt so sorry for her. And I just wish she could see that actually what she needed to do was go into that wound rather than launch a new program. And she was saying to me, you know, I've just done all the plant medicine and I've done all the trauma and I've done all the ayahuasca and I've done all the fucking work. So I don't know, understand why. Financial trauma and, de and defining ourselves with financial worth and stuff. I think that's something you talked about moving through. We never talk, we talk about manifesting material shit but we don't ever talk about like actual financial trauma, right? That my worth, my safety is dependent on making this amount of money and da-da-da-da, right? We can have 
very negative, like a, a, a subconscious relationship with money that is of a survivalist or unhealthy manner. And what I mean by that is sometimes from a young age, we are shown that we only matter, our, our value only matters as much as how much money we're making, how much we're keeping up with the Joneses, or that money worked against us if we grew up in situations of poverty or our basic material needs weren't being met. And so this can put the subconscious in, in a position where we're always relating to money as something that is negative, that is here to hurt us, right? I know for me that anything financial would send me into a fight or flight response all the time. Like I could not bear, I could not get my feet underneath me when looking at something from a financial perspective because of the meaning I would, that I attached to it growing up. I saw people really hurt and abuse one another under the notion of finances and money. But what that means is that we can't interact with money or finances from our higher critical thinking mind if we're always in a fight or flight state or if we're always thinking my value and my worth is dependent on making this amount. And so financial trauma is revisiting those experiences, once again, somatically, where we formed these stories and these narratives that we create around money, that somehow money defines us, that somehow this number somehow now makes me worthy, or that I'm not worthy of charging or bringing it, that this is my issue. Right? I would throw all my shit around for free. And everyone's like, Zach, you're not even eating more than a cheeseburger. You need to charge for your shit. You, you have more value than that. I um, can relate. Can yeah, relate. right. So financial trauma is anytime we really just had to go into chronic states of stress due to finances. We, it doesn't always have to be because we were poor. As Luis said, it can sometimes be because we were meant to believe our inherent worth and value was heavily attributed the finances or attaining some financial goal where we can be incredibly wealthy, but we're still operating from the subconscious belief of I never have enough. That's a scary way to operate. And that's what I sometimes I don't hear enough from in these manifestation spaces around these constructs and concepts. I think it's fascinating to see how that financial trauma can go both ways. Like my partner and I, we're at totally different ends of the spectrum. Like he's sat here next to me. So he's going to be like, stop fucking talking about me on your podcast. But he is on the end of the spectrum where you said he doesn't want money. Money causes problems. Money causes issues. Like, and I'm on the other end of the spectrum where the old me was like, I need money. I need to validate myself. I need my father to be proud of me. And it's so interesting to understand that there's that spectrum. But ultimately, wherever we're coming from on that spectrum, the big question is, is it coming from a wound? Is it coming from a shadow, you know, what is really there. And, and I guess it might be interesting to say that sometimes I am really triggered by the manifestation coaches who are making millions of dollars a year, because what I've learned as well through following you is that often if you have the shadow, you are deeply triggered by someone who is like not in that shadow. So sometimes I'm like, why the fuck are you making $2 million a year when you're not talking about the psychology, you're not talking about the somatics, you're just talking about downloads and energetic codes and manifesting Range Rovers. And so I guess that if I'm being totally honest, there's probably still some part of me in my financial trauma that is triggered by them making shitloads of money by being a manifestation coach. And I'm sorry to admit that, but at least I'm being honest, right? So it, our, our shadows mirror each other. I am deeply triggered by the manifestation community. And, you know, I, I do believe that there are some, some attitudes and contracts that are unhealthy, but the way that it's created this type of trigger reaction, it's obviously hitting something that's of a shadow nature within me. And, you know, I have had to sit down too as well to say, you know, all this value I'm bringing, why am I not making millions of dollars? And like, I've 
literally had to go in the subconscious and be like, because you don't want to. And that's something you have to figure out of why you don't want to. That wrestled with my own notions of, would I abuse power? Would I abuse that money? Would it change me? This or whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe these manifestation coaches aren't so bad. And, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe I'm projecting a little bit. It's always interesting, right? To notice when we have this real visceral emotional reaction. How do we formulate a healthy coexistence with money? Where, as you said, we're not on the section of, I want to run away from it, or my entire identity and value is defined by it. And I'm going to base all my actions and my personality and my sense of self around it. Totally. And I think one of my biggest journeys or challenges or learnings in Tulum has been to go on that exact journey. You know, I have come so far since I first arrived here when I'd be working six days a week, would never leave the apartment. And my boyfriend was basically like, we live in paradise. Like, why do you not get in the ocean? Why do you not go to the beach? And I was just there like working like I was still in London. And it was such a huge wake up call for me that there are other ways to live and there are other ways to work. I think you've made some fascinating points. We could go on for hours about the financial trauma and the manifestation coaches and you know, I think I want to echo what you just said there, that they're not so bad and that th there's a lot of, there's a lot of value and they help a lot of people. And that's really, really beautiful. And actually they're making $2 million a year is probably just more triggering both of our shadows at how hard we work and how little we charge around what we do. Well, yeah, I want to touch on this. Like, and I want to clarify, I think sometimes why we have frustrations with the manifestation community or some of these concepts is it, it feels like it's coming from a very ego-filled place. We do want to kind of not engage in that paradigm of, I want this thing, I want that thing. So I'm going to visualize like a lot of this path and process for us has been of a deep inward nature where we were kind of told to surrender and release our ability to project a, I want this and now I need to have it. Now, at some point, it truly is about us releasing and locating the limiting structures within the subconscious self that says, I can't have this thing to let go and to surrender to something higher and to be shown where we need to be led. So like when we start having this higher self come in and be like, you know what, Luis, you should be living well. You know what, Luis, you should be working less hours. You should be going to the beach. You should have enough money where you're able to like to spend and invest in yourself. And you're like, no, I don't, I, I'm not worthy of that. No, I don't want, like, that's where we need to look at this paradigm of what within me is inhibiting me from experiencing this reality that I actually feel deeply called to now experience. As I said, this is of a nature more so of releasing our own limiting beliefs around what we believe is available to us, how that's rooted in our own trauma growing up and seeing what we saw and say, you know what, maybe I do deserve to live well. That has been my journey of like, I from where I came from, from how much trauma, like growing up, the bet was on me of like more, probably more than 50% of people thought I was going to OD out in some alleyway. Like where I've gone in life, that, that has never been a projection that anyone really saw coming. But there's still this part of me that really deeply believe I don't deserve to live well. I don't deserve to feel good. And that has blocked, quote unquote, this own higher power manifesting on my behalf. Like I have had to remove those limiting structures. That's the work for a lot of us who've been through chronic illness, for a lot of us who've been through a lot of abhorrent trauma over and over again to say, maybe there is a potential out there where I'm allowed to feel good, where I'm allowed to feel well, where I'm allowed to feel healthy. Now that belief in of itself is not going to get you there, but it's, but it's a necessary requirement. You're so right. And I think one of my biggest learnings and life lessons was with my ex-boyfriend, he 
came from a totally different social class to me. He was a refugee, had gone through traumas that as a white privileged woman, I will never understand firsthand. And I think that I was probably in that manifestation mindset when I met him. Like, you know, I, I'm very optimistic. I'm like, we can have whatever we want. Like, you, you know, blah, blah. And he helped me understand, like, you can't manifest your way out of poverty. The average person can't manifest their way out of poverty. I think a lot of people were upset because sometimes you would see like a very privileged white person, right, who came from money saying you can just manifest this or that. What I think is what we're saying is that sometimes these teachings as a whole don't feel that they can, that they're applicable to certain people from subsets of society. And then they're often shamed more for not living up to this paradigm when there is more blocks and restrictions to get there. And, and we have to point this out because it can be gaslighting to someone. I'm sorry, if you're a black person from like the projects in Chicago, who did not have two parental figures in the home, who didn't grow up with the educational resources, just visualizing and manifesting your way into wealth. There's a lot more blockages there that have to be acknowledged. Not that we descend into a victim mentality. That's very disempowering, but that we're conscious in acknowledging the discrepancies and the difficulties inherent in people's paths. Just because this was your way doesn't mean this is someone else's way. I think what we need in these spaces is more compassion, empathy, and a logistical understanding of the glass ceilings that do exist in some areas and the institutional structures that limit people because you can visualize your way out of anything. But like, if you're not given the real raw actionable tools to get there, it does not matter. If you come from a, a, a paradigm where you have had heavy poverty in your ancestral lines, there's a whole different notion somatically you have to work through. And so people feel very gaslit and not seen by these coaches and communities sometimes. And is that the successful coaches fault? I don't know. I don't think so. Right. I think they're relaying their paradigm, but I think it's up to the rest of us to start coming together and say, this is why we don't feel seen and heard. And there's a more nuanced thing that I think needs to be expressed here. Oh, Zach, you just summarized that literally perfectly. And I also feel like I said to my boyfriend today, I said, for the first time in three years of doing this podcast, I was feeling a, a sense of I wasn't being stimulated by it in the way that I have been over the last three years. And you have just totally flipped that on its head. I feel like I feel mentally stimulated by this discussion, mentally challenged by this discussion. I'm loving where this has gone. So I just wanted to say thank you for so, so coherently talking about challenges and issues that so often are not spoken about. I think we never planned for this episode to go into the, to the realms of financial trauma, into the manifestation, but I trust that we've gone exactly, you know, where, where we needed to go with it. Yeah. I think what a beautiful experience that you can start acknowledging, Hey, I'm hitting a bit of a wall with this. When we're on this path or process, that's just a time to reflect and say, you know, maybe there's another dimension of this podcast. Maybe there's another dimension of this experience that I just feel called that I can go to now. And I think you're, you're doing it right. I think what you've already done has been amazing and beautiful, right? I go through your TikToks and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's getting one on me. Like I have this attachment. So, oh shit, I'm avoided. I do this or whatever. And what a beautiful thing that, not that you need to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but that you can already take what you've been able to relay and express so well and in such a digestible manner. And then now to have, throw even more of your experience on top of it, to be even able to talk about the dark night of the soul, to be able to talk about financial trauma, that there's even deeper layers that you can go into in this podcast 
And I'm I'm sure you're going to feel completely rejuvenated as you embark on that. Yeah, and I think I'm even going to feel rejuvenated after this episode with you. So thank you so much. I feel like I always knew that I wanted to take the podcast into the spaces of the subconscious and the unconscious and the somatic and the stuff that you have a ton more experience with and in than I do. How can people work with you? I'm hoping this will be the first of many, many times of you guesting on the podcast with us. I feel like we have so many things we didn't even get into today. But for now, if people want to find you, work with you, how can they do that? Right now, I am on TikTok and Instagram under the handle I am Zach Alexander, and that is Zach Z-A-C-K. I do work with people in long-form one-on-one containers, and those last for six months. I have a couple more spaces open in that. And I also do have a online course that teaches everything that we that Luis and I just talked about. It's a couple hundred bucks, but it comes with uh, over 20-plus hours of video-based instructional teaching. I think the way, if I'm going to actually pitch myself, like I think the thing that I offer in this space that is unique is uh, I make this work fun and enjoyable. I attempt to bring humor so that you're able to kind of digest this material from in a way that doesn't feel overly technical and feels in a way that is relatable to you. And so, yeah, you can find me through there. And we are working on a website finally for me. That will be IamZachAlexander.com. It's in a couple months. So that's how you can find me. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Zach. So grateful for everything you've shared. And hopefully you'll come back very soon. Thank you for having me on, Luke. Bye.